Wait, is that? Oh my god, hey! What's up? It's Krista from the Crime Collection. <laughs> Sorry, I literally don't know how to... It's too boring to just say, hey, what's up? Even though I said that. Anyway, um, I just got a milk frother from Ikea. And I made a latte with it this morning. Like, I didn't even use milk. I frothed up my creamer. And it was so good. It was literally so good. So, that's my introduction for today. Also, I'm on this, like, I don't know, obsession with getting TikTok famous. And so, the new way I'm going to try is... I created a TikTok account for this, like for the crime collection. And I think I'm gonna do like excerpts or like overview of a case on my TikTok and then be like, oh, if you want more information, check out my podcast. But y'all are the OGs and y'all are listening to the podcast rather than listening to the TikTok. So I appreciate you more. But anyway, I'll keep you updated if I become TikTok famous. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully that's soon. But today, I have a really interesting case that I've never heard of until I started, like, going down a rabbit hole of, like, random cases to cover. And, yeah. Insane. This is about the dead woman who named her killer. Yes. A woman died and came back from the damn dead to um, expose who murdered her iconic absolutely iconic so we're going to talk about teresita baza the woman who solved her own case kind of maybe there's theories but we'll get into that let's get into the beginning so although technically this case is a solved case like we know the killer how it was actually solved is the kind of sketchy part that no one can kind of agree on. But let's get into the history of who is Teresita Baza. So, Baza was born in the Philippines in 1929, and she was known to have lived like a pretty privileged life. She was the only child of a successful lawyer and his wife. I couldn't find their names, but high money individuals, I guess. Um, she graduated from Assumption College in Manila, and Baza came to the United States where she received her master's degree in music from Indiana University and went on to study inhalation therapy. So from there, eventually, Baza settled down in Chicago, Illinois, where she became a respiratory therapist at Edgewater Hospital. She was known to be, like, pretty well-reserved but a very polite woman who was exceptionally dedicated to her job. Um, here, she took great pride in providing the best care for her patients, as well as being a hardworking in her career. Baza also attended Lo Loyola. Yep, Toyota. Loyola, <laughs> English. Loyola University, where she was preparing a doctor's thesis in music. Uh, she spent what little free time she had because she was, like, so busy with work. Obviously, she's very accomplished. Um, in her free time, she gave piano lessons and started writing her own book. She was not known as being a drinker. And as we talked about before, she led a very busy, routine, and quiet life. 
1977, Teresita was now 47 years old, and she was very happy with the way her life was going. Now, on Monday, February 21st, 1977, this was seen as like a routine day for Teresita. She worked her normal shift at the hospital and then returned to her apartment building at 2740 North Pine Grove Avenue. Around 7.30 p.m., she had received a phone call from her friend Ruth Loeb. The two of them talked for about 20 minutes before Teresita told Ruth she had to, she, she was like, I, listen, I gotta go because she was expecting a male visitor. But she didn't tell Ruth who the man's name was and she didn't ask for any other details because she was like, not my business, you do you boo. And at 8.40 p.m., a couple who lived down the hall from Teresita thought that they had smelled some sort of like smoke but they were unable to determine what it actually was and where it was coming from. So they were pretty concerned. So Marid and Catherine Knazi placed a call to the building's janitor and he immediately called the Chicago Fire Department and started like evacuating all the residents. By the time firefighters were able to get into the building, the hallway where Marid and Catherine's apartment was located was rapidly filling with smoke. So, firefighters quickly determined that the source of the smoke was apartment 15B, which was, oh my god, you guessed it, Teresita's apartment. They forced entry into her home and were able to extinguish the flames in, like, just minutes. But once the fire was out, they were horrified when they realized that the fire was not accidental. On the floor, under a mattress, they found Teresita's body. She was naked and had a kitchen knife stabbed deeply into the center of her chest. Detectives were called to the scene and immediately confirmed that they were dealing with a homicide. It appeared that whoever had killed Teresita had lit the blaze in order to destroy any evidence of the crime. And that's not just because of the fire. Like, smoke actually does a great job at destroying evidence too, kind of like water or how rain does with the smell. But alas, after killing Teresita, the murderer had thrown a pile of clothing on top of her and then lit the clothing on fire. And then they had placed the mattress on top of her and set that on fire as well. Since Teresita had been nude when she was set on fire, detectives had already believed that she had likely been raped before she was killed. But testing showed that when an autopsy was done, there were no signs of sexual assault, which really like surprised them, made them very confused. And so while the fire had destroyed some potential evidence, police could see that Teresita's apartment had actually been ransacked and it was very clear that a struggle had taken place. They were unable to determine if anything was missing from the apartment because Teresita lived alone and so no one was sure like what items were in her apartment to begin with. So they didn't like if you don't know what's in an apartment, you don't know what's missing. If that makes any sense. Um, but it was possible that a robbery had taken place. Um, detectives combed through the apartment, looking for any other clues that might lead them to their killer, but it was discovered that their murderer had left no physical evidence behind. One of the few things detective took as evidence was a memo that Teresita had apparently written to herself, reminding her, quote, get theater tickets for A.S., end quote. Investigators had no idea who A.S. was or might be, or how recently Teresita had written this note for them, but they were very interested in who this person was and locating where they were. 
Um, homicide detectives spent the next several weeks interviewing Teresita's friends, co-workers, neighbors, and classmates. They learned that Teresita was a quiet and polite woman who was very dedicated to her job and highly regarded by patients. Although she occasionally dated, she had never married and seemed content with her work at the hospital along with her music studies. She had no known enemies, and those who knew her were very shocked when they found out that someone would have even wanted to murder her. During the course of the investigation, detectives learned a lot about Teresita's character, but nothing led them any closer to who her killer was. They had made several public pleas for assistance, but received very few tips about the case, and so they were unable to develop any solid leads. So, after a couple of months, the case went completely cold. Luckily, though, in July of 1977, the investigation began to heat up again. When Detective Joe Stachula arrived at work one morning, he had found a note that was asking him to call the Evanston Police Department about the Baza murder. He was obviously very intrigued of what this could be, so the homicide detective immediately called where the Evanston officer told him that they have recently received a call from someone claiming to have information about the murder. The detective was told to get in contact with Dr. Jose Chua, a doctor who lived in Skokie, a suburb in Chicago. Detective Stachula and his partner, Detective Lee Eplin, arranged to interview the doctor at his home. He did indeed provide them with information they needed to solve the burner case, but it was in a way that no one could have ever guessed. Okay, you ready? So, Dr. Chua seemed extremely embarrassed when he told the detectives what he knew. After a few minutes of just small talk, how was the weather, and blah, 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 he asked them if they had any belief in the occult or the supernatural. The detectives did their best to appear non-judgmental, but they kind of like side at each other and exchanged glances, and it was clear that, that they were like, okay, we literally came here for absolutely no reason. This is not going to help. But Dr. Chua continued. He told the detectives that he believed that his wife, Remebios, I looked up a pronunciation, so I really hope that's how you say her name. Very sorry if it's not. But I'm going to save myself because his wife also went by Remy. So we're going to go by Remy so I don't keep butchering these names. I feel like I've done a really bad job with names. But (laughs) moving on. He told the detectives that he believed his wife, Remy, was possessed by the spirit of Teresita Baza. Remy was also from the Philippines, and she started having these, like, really strange dreams that involved Teresita. She tried to ignore them, but one day while she was asleep, she had gone into a trance-like state and started speaking to her husband in a voice that was not her own. Dr. Chua told the detectives that Remy had appeared to be almost comatose while she was talking to him, and he absolutely did not recognize the voice she was using. Apparently, this voice had told him that she was Teresita Baza and she needed his help. She claimed that she had been murdered by a man named Alan Shorey and she needed him to go to the police with this information. She insisted that Alan had arrived at her apartment to fix her television, but he had killed her instead. She made another plea for him to go to the police and then the voice faded away. When Remy awoke from her nap, she had absolutely no knowledge of what had just happened, 
And when her husband told her about the thing she had said, she just kind of like stared blankly at him because she had no idea who he was talking about. And Joe, still very understandably confused at what just happened and what he just saw, he was like, I'm not going to sound crazy and I'm not going to call the police. So Joe played along and told the voice that he was a doctor and he was very scientifically minded. So he was like, listen, I am not going to go to the police without any tangible proof to back up this claim about Alan being like the murderer. So apparently the voice got really annoyed and was like, listen, fine, I'll give you proof. She said that Alan had stolen some of her jewelry from her apartment, including several unique pieces that her father had purchased in France and had given to her mother. After stealing the jewelry, Alan had given it to his girlfriend. The voice even gave the names and phone numbers of four people that would be able to identify the jewelry. So, he was still very unsure of what was going on, but he wanted to save his wife from any more of these episodes she was having, so he finally was like, fine, I'll call the police. So, obviously and understandably, the detectives were very skeptical of his claim, but if you remember about the note that she had left in her pocket for getting a theater ticket for, do we remember the name, for... A.S. Could that indeed be Alan Showery? So, the detectives also had noticed that the initials matched the memo, and so perhaps there might be something about his claim after all. Either way, this was the first lead that they had in months of this cold case, so they figured it at least wouldn't hurt anything to just check it out and, you know, do their due diligence. So after running a background check on Alan, they were pretty surprised that to learn that he had lived near Teresito and was also employed at Edgewater Hospital, just in a different department that she had worked at. So after speaking with a few of Alan's coworkers, they were um, like <laughs> literally shocked when one recalled that Alan had indeed mentioned fixing Teresita's television for her. So the detectives were like, all right, guess it's time to pay little Alan a visit. So they dropped by his apartment unannounced and found both Alan and his girlfriend, Yanka Kamluk, question mark? <laughs> they found them at home. And after exchanging some pleasantries, they asked Alan if he'd be willing to go down to the police station with him. They told him, listen, we're investigating the murder of Teresita and we were hoping to be able to speak to you. So... Alan agreed, and during the interview, he initially had denied ever going to Teresita's home. Then they confronted him with the fact that other people had overheard him saying that he was going to go over there to fix her TV. He, surprise, changed his entire story. He admitted that he had gone to her apartment, but said once he got there, he realized he didn't have the tool that he had needed, so he left and told Teresita that he would have to do it another time. He claimed that when he left her apartment, he immediately returned to his own apartment and claimed that he and Yanka had been having some electrical problems, so he went straight home so that he could fix the issue. Okay. Um, although the detectives couldn't believe that they were following up a tip from a ghost, they were starting to believe that they might have the right man. So they paused the interview so that they could return to Alan's apartment to speak with his girlfriend. And Yanka told them that she was completely unaware of any electrical problems in the apartment and noted that Alan would have no idea how to fix any electricals anyway. She was like, that's not a thing he could do. 
So the detectives then asked Yanka if Alan had given her any jewelry lately. She said he had given her a couple of pieces of jewelry in February and told her that they were belated Christmas gifts. She was actually wearing them at that moment and pointed out the pendant around her neck and the gold and pearl cocktail ring on her finger. Taking a chance, they asked Yanka if she would mind following them down to the police station. Like Alan, she agreed, and it was clear that she had no idea what was about to happen. So obviously at this point, they're like, how is this making sense? How are these events actually happening? How the damn ghost said that they would? (laughs) Insane. So they had like gotten the people who needed to check out the jewelry to come down to the station as well and you will not believe this they all arrived and the jewelry was confirmed that they were stolen from Teresita's apartment it was the same jewelry Yanka was wearing so as soon as Alan was confronted with this information he confessed to the murder of Teresita Baza. He admitted that he had decided he was going to rob Teresita because he needed rent money. Since she was expecting him to come and fix her TV and apparently had decided she was going to give him theater tickets to thank him, she let her in she let him into his apartment willingly and as soon as she turned around, Alan attacked her. He told the detectives he had stripped her clothes off to make it look like it had been a sexual assault and stabbed her once in the chest. His plan was to get enough money to pay his rent, but it failed because he was only able to find $30. So, to make up for that, he grabbed some jewelry to be like, okay, it'll make it worthwhile, I guess, and started the fire in an attempt to cover up his crime. So, Alan was arrested and charged with murder. So, interesting that I found this. I'm just going to read it to you because I found this really intriguing. Um, This was an excerpt from a newspaper from September 17th, 1978, um, by Rob Warden. A 13-year-old man is scheduled to go on trial here next month for a murder police said he confessed to after his victim's voice allegedly came back from the grave to name him as the killer. Teresita's Baza's nude body was found under a pile of smoldering clothing in her fashionable apartment on February 2nd, 1977, a butcher knife stuck in her chest. Police say they had no leads until six months later when they interviewed a doctor who claimed that his 38-year-old wife had gone into trances three times and saying that she was Baza and speaking in his strange voice identified Alan Shorey as the man who stabbed her and set her body on fire. At a pretrial hearing in circuit court, Dr. Jose C. Chua Jr., a surgeon, quoted his wife's entranced voice, having said, quote, Doctor, I would like to ask for your help. The man who murdered me is still at large, end quote. Chua and his wife, Remibius, sorry, I'm so sorry, um, are natives of the Philippines, as was the murdered woman. Remy Chua and Baza, 48, worked together at Chicago's Edgewater Hospital, where Shori was a respiratory technician. The hospital said that his wife, when in trance, spoke in Tagalog, the national language of the Philippines, with a strange Spanish-sounding accent. Quote, I was really surprised and scared when I asked her name and she answered, I'm so sorry, Akuyi, meaning I am, Teresita Baza. But she 
but she told me I had nothing to be scared of. She was really pleading for me to help solve her murder, end quote. She would testify. The hearing was on a motion by William Swano, an assistant public defender representing Shoury, to dismiss the murder charge on the grounds that the police had nothing to go on but Chua's bizarre story when they made the arrest. Swano argued that Mrs. Chua faked the trances and that Shoury's arrest on August 11th of 1977 was illegal because the police lacked probable cause of his guilt. Quote, Never to my knowledge has a man been arrested because of supernatural visions, end quote, Swano said. Police have never been informed of a criminal's name by a voice from the grave. Police homicide investigator Joseph Stachula acknowledged that the doctor's story was the only lead they had when they questioned Shoury, but Stachula said that they rang Shoury's doorbell without drawing guns, and he voluntarily went to the police station without asking whether he was under arrest. Prosecutor Thomas J. Organ contended that police would have been derelict derelict okay to ignore the tip quote i'm sure none of us had ever heard a story as bizarre as this but police could not ignore it end quote judge frank w barbero denied in denied the offense motion to dismiss the murder charge and set the trial for october 2nd quote i see no reason to restrict the investigatory power of the police whether they believed the voices or not they had to check it out end quote Barbero said that the evidence showed police had advised Shoury of his rights before he confessed. A spokesman for the prosecutor's office said it was unlikely that Remy Chua will be called to testify at the trial, since the claims that she can recall nothing about what she said in her trances. Quote, it's not like we're going to cross-examine the voice or anything of that nature. We're really not that interested in the supernatural aspect of this trial. The voice was just an initial tip but the evidence was developed independently, end quote. And that was the end of, like, the newspaper clipping, which I just thought it was really interesting, and it gave some, like, extra insight on the trial. Um, the case went to trial on January 21st of 1979, but had ended in a hung jury four weeks later, which I literally could not imagine being a juror and trying to figure out if a supernatural tip that led to a real confession. I mean, that's insane. But also, if you confess to it, you confess to it. Like, kind of like what the newspaper said. Like, just because... Like, it's not about the tip. It's not about the ghost. It's about the, him confessing to a murder and having evidence of him confessing to a murder and robbery. But, moving on. So, while he was in prison awaiting trial, like, again, like a retrial, Alan had a change of heart and decided to just plead guilty in exchange for a sentence reduction. So, he was given 14 years for murder, 4 years for the robbery, and 4 years for arson. Many people whispered that he had made the decision to plead guilty after Teresita's ghost had visited him in prison. But, also, the likely explanation here is just that his change of heart was just because the lawyer told him it was in his best interest. But, annoyingly enough, in the end, he served only 5 years before he was released from prison on parole. How do you only get 5 years for murdering someone that makes no sense i hate stories like that so quote to this day i'm not sure whether i believe how the information was obtained said detective stachula nevertheless everything is completely true end quote 
So, the story about the ghost who solved her own murder may have made headlines in newspapers across the United States and in Canada, but the discussions of what actually had happened here still remain at large. So, let's get into the different theories of what may have actually happened. So, to start off, for example, we now know that Remy Chua and Shouri weren't actually strangers like they had said. Um, they both worked in the same department at Edgewater Hospital with Baza. And so, Chua had suspected that Shouri was making complaints about her quality of work at the hospital. That's what um, the defense for Shouri had argued. And just one day after Chua's first possession, Chua had admitted that she believed that Shouri had made a prank phone call to her. Yeah, this is getting really um, confusing. I don't know about you, but I'm getting kind of confused. So basically what I'm thinking that happened is that they weren't strangers. They knew each other. And because Chua had thought that Shouri was making complaints about her quality of work, she thought that Shouri had made a prank phone call to her. That makes sense. Okay. Hopefully that helped you. I don't know. So, apparently, her psychic symptoms started within hours of discovering that she had lost her job. Stachula himself expressed skepticism when it came to how Chua obtained this information about Shouri and his alleged involvement, but believe everything that happened is still completely true. Like, what they know is still true. All the evidence is still there. All of the... Um, like the jewelry and the confession, all of that's still true. So it's really the question of like whether or not someone was actually possessed versus someone had like a gut instinct and made a call. I mean, they still got a murderer charged, so I don't know. But at the same time, those who had followed and written about the case over the years have also offered their own theories, ranging from possible subconscious fear or, or like, witnessing or overhearing that Shouri had talked about his involvement, but, like, didn't know how to express this information, so, like, kind of created this phenomenon of trances. Who knows? But others still believe that this is shining proof of paranormal phenomena. So the Chewas gave their version of events by way of a book called A Voice from the Grave, who was written by a friend named Carol Mercado. And in 1980, they told the Tribune that they believed that their mission was now accomplished. The story has since appeared in countless television shows and unsolved or paranormal crimes. And in 1996, it was made into a movie by the same name called Voice from the Grave. Um, author Ray Johnson wrote in February that he had tried to track down Shouri, who was now in his 70s, and found his native New York to be the last known place he had lived. Did Shouri kill Baza? Why did he confess so near to walking free? And what of the coincidental timing of Remy Chua's psychic abilities to her own bizarre run-ins with Shouri? Quote, all of us want to believe in life after death, end quote. Jose Chua said after the trial. The detectives involved in the case seemed to believe that that's what occurred. Although they were usually skeptical of the paranormal, pa what did I just say? Paranormal? Paranormal? 
they told reporters that they had no other explanation in this case. So, I mean, perhaps they didn't look hard enough because they weren't actually strangers. And Remy was also a respiratory therapist at Edgewater Hospital. And although they never worked the same shift, they did meet each other at orientation. And Remy did work with Alan. But some people claim that she was actually, like, scared of him. Um, maybe Remy was actually possessed by the ghost of the woman that she had only met, like, <laughs> once or twice. Um, it seems more likely that she had suspected that Alan killed Teresita, but didn't know how to, like, go to the police with no real information. And so she made up the claim that Teresita's ghost had possessed her as a way to tip off the police without anyone thinking it was actually coming from her. But obviously she denied this ever being the case. And lastly, I must say, my own thoughts. Even if Remy did make up this story about being possessed by Teresita, the claim had beneficial results. I mean, he was caught and held accountable and charged for what he did. And people at least remember Teresita's name. Like, the case got no publicity when she was first murdered, but the idea that she came back from the dead to name her killer won the news over completely. It was all over the media. So, whether that actually is what happened or not, icon. Iconic behavior, and I would like to believe that she was like, uh-uh, no, this is not gonna go unsolved, I am not having it. And... Put someone in a trance to, to tell who the murderer was. I, I want to believe it. I'm going to believe it. Because this way, Teresi DeBaza will be forever remembered as the woman who solved her own murder after she died. I love her for that. Iconic. Iconic. And that will stay iconic. So, <laughs> that is the story of Teresi DeBaza, the woman who named her killer from the dead thank you so much for listening and for supporting i really appreciate you making it this far and supporting me especially those of you who have supported me from the beginning i appreciate you so much um make sure you subscribe and like give me a review if you want uh if you want to get to know the real me other than true crime you can follow me on instagram at krista gorson you can follow my youtube channel at krista gorson um, make sure you're following the crime collection on Instagram because I always post when I have new episodes out, I post updates and I post photos that you can kind of look at while you're listening along with like victim, perpetrator and crime scene photos. So I will stop rambling on about my promos, but thank you for your support. I love you all. This has been the crime collection.